are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Uh, so we started our summer series on the king's table, and this is taken from 2 Samuel chapter 9. The king's table. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's start the series. It's the final countdown. Just kidding. You see, shortly after David became king, he remembered the promise that he had made to his best friend. Who was that? Jonathan, his BFF, right? That he would show kindness to his family. So he vowed to Saul that he would never kill any of the children that came after him. Now, it's probably no surprise to hear that when one king took over another king's throne, the new king would kill the entire family of the former king, so there's no rivalry in the future. And here in this story, Saul was dead, Jonathan was dead, and David was king. And it would have been so easy for David to just forget about his promise, but David not only remembered his promise, but he went far beyond it because in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, David asked, hey, is there anyone left from the royal house of Saul? Is there anyone left? And a servant replies, sir, there's one, the son of Jonathan, but he's a cripple. David asked for him. So Mephibosheth arrives. He's the guy who's the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul. Now, here's the thing. If I was Mephibosheth, I'd be shaking in my boots. Because here we have David. Now, we're not just talking about the David who likes to play his harp and just like prance around in his underwear undignifiedly anymore. This guy, he is a warrior. When he tried to hide his sin, he murdered someone, right? He's not exactly someone that you can just kind of go to and, and think it's not that big of a deal. He's experienced so many battles. He, he's killed a giant and he beheaded the giant. He's defeated armies. So many accomplishments. He is the anointed one. And the rest of the kingdom, they want to forget everything about the previous king, King Saul. And here we have Mephibosheth, the last remaining bloodline of Saul. So here he was before the great King David. And David says, greetings, Mephibosheth. And so he replies, I am your servant. In other words, there's no rivalry, your majesty. I am nothing to you. Please. This is what my daughter does when she gets in trouble. Please. Please, I submit to you. She doesn't say that, but one day, right? She goes, so he, Mephibosheth says to the king, I, I submit to you. I, you are king. We are not equals. I am so low. I am nothing. I'm a cripple. I am just, just leave me alone. And then David looks at him and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I intend to show you kindness because of the promise I made to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. No one just goes to the table. No one just goes to the table. But he says, you will eat with me every day. The amazing spread. Can you imagine eating Unhi's food every single week? 
you will feast with me at my table every time. This is such a beautiful demonstration of love and grace. So why this series and why this passage? Because the word of the Lord, as the staff and I, we prayed over the summer, the word, one word came up, and that was the word unity. Unity. Turn to your neighbor and say, unity. Because there is a great feast here at Shining Star Community Church, and yet sometimes it sometimes feels like we're following the old traditions, the old traditions of division, the old traditions of earning it. And what happens is that it makes sometimes people around us feel lonely and fearful and rejected. Now we might think, well, if you want to sit by me, if you want to be a part of this church, you need to step up. You need to show that you want to be here. You have to show us that you want to get plugged in. But what did Mephibosheth do? He did nothing because he couldn't do anything. He had done nothing to earn David's kindness. He had done nothing to earn David's blessings. He wasn't a mighty warrior, someone who fought alongside King David. He wasn't even courageous. He was this nobody, no-name cripple. There was nothing about him that could have earned a spot at the king's table. And yet the king's table is now a place where we sit because we've earned it, but it's a place we sit because we've been invited. A place we've been invited. It was a place of blessing that was freely given as a gift. You see, guys, I won't tell you where our king's table's at. Our church is the king's table. Our fellowship, whenever we hang out, that's the king's table. Your life is the king's table, and yet we're constantly asking people to earn their spot, people who desire to be part of the family, people who've been scared and unsure about how to go about doing this. There are people here who will come through our doors, like Mephibosheth, with their heads down, feeling rejected, dejected, feeling unworthy. There will be people like Mephibosheth who will look like and appear to be polar opposites from you like he was to the mighty warrior David. And yet there was a place for him because the king made a place for him. It was intentional. It was compassionate. It was a promise. David, he didn't follow tradition. He didn't follow culture. He followed God. And I pray that we as EM members would also leave behind, forget any notion of someone trying to, or having to earn their spot here or earn their seat next to you, and that we would instead extend that invitation to them at the king's table by our side. Will you do that? Amen? For the next several weeks, I'll be going over several different aspects of what this table should look like. And so as we journey together, we need to ask ourselves these questions. What kind of table have we set before one another? And also, have we welcomed anyone to the king's table? If not, why? Today's title is called The Table of Redemption because I believe it starts here. Now, the word redemption is a loaded word. First of all, we need it. Turn to your neighbor and say, we need redemption. Because our natural condition is something called sin. It's sin, and we constantly fall short of the glory of God. We are never perfect. We can never receive and achieve and, and, and get to the perfection and the holiness of God. So redemption through Christ, it frees us from that. It frees us from guilt, and, is, and we're justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, Romans 3, 24. So what does that redemption include? 
It includes eternal life, includes forgiveness of sins, righteousness, freedom from the curse of the law, adoption into God's family, deliverance from the bondage of sin, peace with God, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All that in redemption. You see, you see ultimately the word redemption means this, that God so loved the world that he, he bought you. He bought you. His son came. He was the payment. He bought you. He purchased you. Christ redeemed us. So what does this passage of being the soul and the light of the world have to do with that? Because people won't know what a redeemed life is if they don't see a redeemed life within us. We need to represent that that redeemed life. So our first point is that Christ's redemption made us different from the world. Turn to your neighbor and say, be different from the world. This isn't a new idea. I think most people would agree that we as Christians were called to be different. But we got to probe a little bit deeper. Instead, we need to ask, what is the nature of that difference? Is it only skin deep? In other words, is it only about what we eat, drink, if we smoke? Is it about what we wear, about what kind of things we like to play with? Well, Christ, he speaks of something different here. It's not the appearance he speaks of, but the essence. Think of it this way. Because those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are now under a different authority. We're under a different rule because we're a part of God's kingdom. We're also a part of different purpose. It's about God's glory, no longer ours. It's, we understand truth from a God-centered perspective, not one that starts from human reasoning, which changes all the time, by the way. You see, everything about us is different in essence from the rest of the world. The world says that life is about happiness. Have you seen that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness by Will Smith? It's a good movie. But we know what happiness is. It fades. One day you're happy, the next day you're not. The world says that life is about accomplishment, success, making lots of money, making a name for yourself. Then why is it that so many successful people still feel empty and unaccomplished and lonely and constantly hungry for more and more and looking for more? The world says life is about pleasures. Just enjoy life. Enjoy each other. Then why do so many people who indulge in promiscuity, jumping from relationship to relationship, feel emptier and more used and lonelier? Why is there still a longing for the perfect man or woman? Why is it that people think of him or her as the one who will complete them? If I get him or if I just get her, then life will be so good. The essence of Christianity isn't about, being a per- isn't about being a perfect person or getting that perfect person. That's impossible. Turn to your neighbor and say this, sorry, but you're not perfect. It doesn't start from us. It's about starting with God instead of ourselves. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's start with God. When we realize, when we realize that life is from God, it's about God and it's for God, you'll begin to see what living a redeemed life would look like. We're different. We're no longer born to this world. We no longer hunger for the things of this world. Instead, we're reborn by the Holy Spirit of God, hungry for the eternal things of God. The difference is as profound as light and darkness. God made us different from the world. But if that difference in you is only superficial, then you've got the wrong nature that is different. Are you different simply on a list of taboos? Or is the difference in you one that flows from the work of God? 
the new purpose of God. You have a hunger for God. And the satisfaction of God is in you. Show those who enter through these doors that our difference is that we love because we first were loved by God. That we forgive because we've been forgiven by him first. And there is no other qualification we could ever meet but having Jesus because he is our qualifier. But there's more. Because Christ's redemption means that he's called us to live in this world. Turn to your neighbor and say, we got to live in this world. Now, you guys heard Tesla, right? You know the CEO, Elon Musk? He wants everyone and their mothers to colonize planets or something like that one day? I don't know. He wants us to move out into the world, not the world, the universe. But the reality is we all live here on Earth. And even if I had the opportunity to relocate to Mars or something, I've seen enough sci-fi movies to know that you probably shouldn't do that, right? I mean, just think about, just think about logically, for instance. Like, your house is on fire here. What do you do? You just walk outside and you're okay. You can't do that on Mars. You'll die. <laughs> so we live here in this world, on this earth. But over the years, some have thought that the solution was for us to remove ourselves from the world. In fact, in 269-80, there was this guy named St. Anthony of Egypt. He sold all his possessions, all his money, every belonging, and he started to live as a hermit. And he lived a monastic life, which actually, that was the beginning of the monastic movement, where people started becoming monks and completely removing themselves from society, from the world. And ever since then, the church really struggled with the whole kind of identity. What does it mean to be separate, as in distinct from the world, and, but also not separate in, in, in that we have to remove ourselves in the world. You've heard that saying before, right? Be in the world, but not of the world. And we struggle with that. What does that mean? Look, there are times when we have to disassociate ourselves from certain people. In 1 Corinthians 5, it says, Paul says, I written to you my letter to not associate yourself with sexually immoral people, as in they'll influence you. They'll bring you down. Now, it's impossible for us to disassociate ourselves from every aspect of our lives constantly, but like he said, there are occasions that may call for it. But the truth is, it's a lot easier for us to leave than be different, isn't it? With all that's going around the world with that whole gender confusion. And I also found out that now they're trying to teach sex education to as young as third and fourth graders. And all sorts of distorted truths are infiltrating our schools. It seems to make sense to want to just pull our kids out and say, oh no, baby, daddy will protect you. I'll, I'll homeschool you. I'll send you, I'll work another job so, I could, so you could go to a private school. Do anything like that. And that's ultimately your decision. You can do whatever you want. But we have to first understand, we have to consider raising our kids to know the truth of God first. You get that? Teach them the ways of the Lord. And I pray and hope that they will be the ones to lead their friends to Christ. Let me tell you this. Pastor Esther just said that they have vacation Bible school, which nearly 90 kids are coming. And it's truly effective. It's a wonderful program. And she'll be preaching the gospel, and, and hopefully we pray by God's grace that little children come to know the Lord. But do you know who are the most effective missionaries to little kids? Other little kids. Other little kids who know Christ. We can't always be at flight risk. What happened when people started realizing that Trump was gaining momentum? They said, if he becomes president, I'm moving to Canada. God has also called us 
to stay in the world and be different. Because I know that sometimes we just want to wash our hands of this whole mess around us, but God has called us instead to build bridges to people, to build bridges in this world. We must not cut ourselves off from investing and influencing those around us. We're called to be the salt and light in this dark and messed up world. Because there are going to be people around us who need help. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your city. Maybe it's your school. As Christ followers, we will face many challenges, but we can't say, this isn't our fight. This is your business, not my business. Some of us try really hard to be different from the world, and so we completely withdraw and become isolated from those around us and the problems that they face. And let me tell you, isolation is not good. It's not good. It seems comfortable, but it's not good. I remember not too long ago, I heard of a room that is so silent. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. I saw it on Facebook. That after a few minutes, you'll go crazy from the silence. It's completely padded up. And after a few seconds, when they shut everything, they, they close you in there, you begin to hear even your own blood rushing through your veins. It's so silent. You hear your heart pounding. And you can even hear the sound of your eyelids opening and closing. That's how silent it is. And they say it makes people go crazy after a short while. And when I heard that, I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. <laughs> Such peace and quiet. I could do so much reading. I could take the most amazing nap. It would be amazing. Sounds like my ideal vacation spot. As Christians, we can't just want to escape and isolate ourselves. I know from experience. You know, before my wife and I moved to our current home, we used to live in a condo. And after nearly two years there, I, uh, I was walking towards the elevator only to walk in pace with my next-door neighbor who just came out of his, uh, his unit right when I did. And I never really see him. And all I know is that, is that um, every time I go to early morning prayer service at 5 a.m., he's coming back from work from the hospital, right? And we have a great relationship. Uh, we, we never speak. Right, <clears throat> And so um, we got into the elevator together. And um, sometimes when I see him entering, I kind of like, you know, hold back, let him go first because I'm a generous guy, right? But this time we just kind of got in together for the first time ever. And then it was just so tense for like the first couple seconds that I eventually had to break our nonverbal pact. And I said, hi, my name is David. He goes, oh, oh, what? Oh, yeah, I, I'm Alan. Uh, and he said, you, you live next door, right? And I said, what? Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, next door. You work at the hospital, right? What? Yeah, yeah, uh, Georgetown. You, um, you? I go, me? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh, okay. And then the doors graciously opened up, <laughs> and he walked out. Like, he, like, ran out, and I ran out the other side. And he forever walked out of my life, because after that encounter, I actually moved out. Not because of him, I just moved out. <laughs> you had no idea how awkward your pastor can be, right? Well, then I hear of, like, my other good friend, Pastor Bobby, and, and when, uh, man, he has, like, barbecues with his neighbors every week. He shovels our snow whenever it snows. He, he watches after the kids, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. And I also know that Ron and Michelle, 
Last week, they rented a dunk tank for their neighborhood kids. I'm assuming it was for the last day of school block party. I saw a lot of those things going around. And I'm thinking, man, that's what it's about. That is what it's about. And I want to be more like that. And I think we should want to be more like that. You know, there's this one theologian who said, worldly-mindedness or secularization is often condemned by us, meaning us as Christians, but so should aloofness and isolationism. How are we doing in this role? Let me ask you guys, do you have non-Christian friends? Do you actively try to retain contact with them? Or how about, do they even know that you're a Christian? Is there anything different that you bring to the table? But for the redeemed, guys, it's not just about hanging out in the world. And that leads us to our, to our third point. Christ redeems us to impact the world. Now, we're talking about the effects of salt and light, the illustration that Jesus uses here. Today, we use salt to season food, right? Back then, they had no refrigeration. So its primary use was to prevent food from going bad. If you leave food out for even over a day, what happens? It spoils, it rots, and the world is no different in that it also is just getting worse and worse. It's spiraling out of control. The world is by no means improving. So the Lord calls his church to preserve the influence of the gospel in the world. God is calling you to preserve the truth and not let society Politics, cultures, and trends deteriorate the truth of God. My daughter, she has eczema. Think of it as kind of like this crazy, dry, irritable skin. Now, she's got spots here and there, and if not lathered with lotion, she begins to scratch it, and soon it blisters, bleeds, and scars. When she was about one year old, we uh, took her to the beach, and that week, for some reason, maybe because of all the movement going on, her eczema got really bad and really inflamed, and I just felt so bad for her. So we eventually took her to the beach because, you know, we went to the beach. And she went in the water with me. At first, she loved the water. She was splashing. She's like gooey and gawing and all that good stuff. But soon, she started kind of whimpering too because the salt in the water began to irritate her eczema spots. It burned. And I would know because I actually had eczema when I was younger too, a little bit even now. So I understand how, 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 how burning and how painful it could be. Well, after the pain and after her whimpering subsided, she just she kind of stopped crying, and she started playing in the water. She got water all over her face, her head, entire body, everywhere. Eventually, we stopped, and we went back to the beach house, and we washed her up, and within a few minutes, her entire body suddenly, miraculously, was without any spots. It was amazing. The salt water, or more specifically, the salt acted as a disinfectant. Even though it stung, it healed and preserved my daughter. Let me tell you something here, people. People will not appreciate the sting of salt as you live out your Christian life. Challenging people's philosophies, their allegiances, their fads, and their trends will not only make you unpopular, but it may even soon lead to persecution. Being salt, it sounds negative, I understand, because of the type of sting it brings, but we're called to be salt. Turn to your neighbor and say, we have to be salt. Light, on the other hand, has more of a positive kind of presence because light pushes darkness out and gives life. Again, this world's not getting any better, and more people are starting to seek out for something that is true. They want something real. 
you know, my uh, brother-in-law and his wife, they just moved to the Silicon Valley to begin his work for Apple. I don't ask for much, but I told him, look, just get me the newest iPhone and the newest iPad and the newest notebook every time a new one comes out. It's not a big deal, dude. Look, we're family now. <laughs> I'll throw you a bone. You don't have to even get me an iWatch. I don't care for that. Unless you want to give one to me, I'll take it. You see, in this day and age, we think we're incredibly enlightened, and that enlightenment that we're so proud of is largely due to the fact that all the technological advancements that we've made. But if you take an enlightened view of life, you'll notice that this generation may be one of the most ignorant, weak, unable to cope with life generations that have ever lived. <laughs> all the older people are like, mm-hmm. It's true, though. Because despite all the people this generation who have has the collection of the most advanced degrees and graduation rates, we're still unable to make our marriages work, unable to raise our children properly, unable to have even a normal conversation. Take my conversation with my neighbor as an example. The light our world needs isn't just how much more of, of how the world, isn't just more of you knowing how the world turns. The light our world needs is the knowledge of Jesus that he has come to save the lost. That's what we need. The light of Christ is different from any other type of modern enlightenment just as a laser is from a flashlight. And as Christians, we need to know that we're called to these two things. First, we're salt, meaning we have a preserving effect. We're also called to light in that we have an enlightening effect. One challenges the breaking down, the deterioration of righteousness, the deterioration of justice and truth, and the other brings light of the gospel to make a mark in our dark and lost world. So how do we do this? How do we make these type of changes? How do we act as salt, preserving light, preserving truth? How do we act as a light, lighting out and bringing the gospel into these places? And that is by not conforming to the world. That's what this passage is saying. By not conforming to this world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Lamps are put under a basket is completely ridiculous, and salt needs its saltiness, otherwise it's good for nothing. There, these are the three warnings that Jesus gives us here. It's easy to conform to this world and compromise in our faith, but Jesus warns us, don't do it. You want, you want to make an impact? You want to live for my glory? Don't, don't make those changes in your life. Don't conform. A city on a hill means, what is your nature? Are you a child of God? redeemed and purchased by the blood of Jesus. Our new nature is one that cannot be hidden. It's impossible for us to conform. It will be like mixing oil with water. This is who you are. You cannot hide your essential nature. That's what Jesus says. You got to turn to yourself and, and, and in the mornings and as you do quiet time, as you pray, you have to say, this is who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm not a child of the world. I represent the light of Christ, not the darkness of the world. This is who I am. I cannot change who I am. I am adopted son, daughter of the Most High. Secondly, in verse 15, he says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. In other words, the purpose of the light is to shine, to give light to the room. It would be ridiculous to buy a lamp only to put a blanket over it. So it's equally ridiculous that a person of the light covers their light and conforms to the darkness of the world. Every single day when you pray, when you look at yourself, you have to say, today I have a purpose. 
Today, the Lord has called me to reach out and be the light to the people around me. Even if it's the person who I'm just waiting next to at the bus stop. Even if it's the person that as I'm walking by the, the secretary to my cubicle, you have to know today God has given me a divine purpose. That is who I am. That is my calling. But finally in verse 13, I know I'm going a little bit backwards, but he says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything. Like I know we have a lot of people who, who hear who might say that salt can't lose its saltiness, but let me tell you, back then, salt... It used to be a white powder, and it came from the Dead Sea, typically, and it contained sodium chloride, but also a lot of other type of ingredients. And remember, back then, they didn't have refineries, so there's no such thing as pure salt. And so the commentator said that sodium chloride was the most easily washed out component, leaving the salt still white, but losing its taste and preserving quality. It just becomes road dust. So what is Jesus saying here? saying, don't lose your saltiness. Jesus calling out those who are faking it. We know that churches are filled with those who know Jesus and those who know of Jesus. Those who've been captured by the word of God and those who've read it but have never been impacted and heard the voice of the Lord. When we pretend to act like something we're not, Jesus says, that kind of faith is useless. And if churches are, the, are only about the look of Christianity rather than true discipleship, true transformation, true spiritual growth, then the entire church is useless to the Lord. Now, we got no other purpose than just to be road dust. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, what does your table of redemption look like? It must look different. As salt preserves and as light shines, we need to be different from the world present in this world, affecting this world, always refusing to conform to this world. This is about God's calling for you in your life. This is God's calling for us as EM members. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. In Christ, you are the salt and light of the earth, and there will be people who hear, who, who come to you because they're seeking the truth that you've been called to preserve. They're coming to you because they're, there's, they're in darkness, and they're drawn to the light that shines through your life the light of the gospel of Jesus. What will you do? Christ says, be different. Be different. You will face obstacles. It will sting to those who don't think the way you think. Don't love the ones you love. Don't embrace what you embrace. Don't have the same faith. But God will give you the grace. God will give you the mercy God will give you the perseverance to keep at this amazing call. Do you believe that? He says, be the salt and be the light. Preserve the truth and share the light of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for allowing us to start off this series, understanding at the table... Yes, it is. it is open to all, but Lord, what we place on that table must be distinctly different from what the world usually places on that table. Because Lord, we want to put food that is life-transforming. Lord, we want to put things that are freeing. 
Lord, in other words, we want you to be there. It is when we embrace you, it is when we have you, is what will make us distinctly different from anything else that the world offers us. But we also thank you for that calling to know that we are salt and light for those of us who are redeemed in Christ Jesus, that we are called to preserve the truth. And if you're unsure about what that truth is, and the Lord is calling you to know that truth, to grow in that truth, to learn it. But we're also called to be that light. Don't hide your purpose. Don't put it under a basket. But courageously, go forth and love people and share the good news of Christ. Don't let the day pass. Don't let the week pass. Don't let the month or the year pass before you speak. It might be too late. And don't think it might be someone else that the Lord is calling. No, no. It might be you that the Lord is calling you to share the good word to them. There's no way of mystifying what the Lord is saying here. It's incredibly clear and practical. Are you the salt? Are you the light? Or have you lost your saltiness? And are you putting your light under the basket? Let's take some time and pray and seek the Holy Spirit in the words that he has for us regarding this message. If you feel convicted to repent, I ask that you do. Repent and say, God, I want to be the brightest light for you. God, I want to be the most flavorful salt for you. Okay, let's pray.